You want it. You need it. It's what everyone's talking about. The Kevin Sheehan Show. Now, here's Kevin. Second down and six. 320 remaining. Play clock at two. Oh, I got it's Peterson, big roll, first down and more, still going, Adrian Peterson inside the 20, the 10, touchdown, 64 yards. Wow, how about Doug Williams? Can we get a big hand for Doug Williams who said, you know what, I'm going to bring Adrian Peterson in for a workout. Our second round pick is out for the year. Let me see if Adrian Peterson's available to come in for a workout. And he thought about asking the higher-ups, but he made a better decision not to even let him know. Uh, He's the MVP through seven games, although I would say there are a couple of players on defense in particular that are starting to push him on that. Good morning, everybody. I'm here. Aaron's here. This show's presented by Window Nation. If you're in the market for windows, call 866-90-NATION or go to windownation.com and tell them we told you to call. A happy Monday to all of you who are listening. J.P. Finley from NBC Sports Washington's coming up shortly. You'll hear what Jay Gruden said after the game about why he thinks his team is 5-2. and two. And you're also going to hear what D.J. Swearinger said about what he'll tell his teammates who are getting too big-headed about this three-game winning streak. Uh, the Redskins are 5-2 and two for the first time since 2008, it, 2008 that first Jim Zorn uh, year. And for just the second time since 1995, the Redskins have won their first two division games in a season. Let's get to the game take. Pay attention. Here's Kevin's game take. All right, a few big takeaways before we get to the good, bad, and a bunch of other observations from the 20-13 to win in the Meadowlands over the dreadful New York Giants. First, let me just start with this. This was a very good win. Winning on the road after last week, an emotionally draining win over your arch rival, uh, without any hint of letdown yesterday, no hint of letdown. To do that, that's significant. Many, many teams, all right, more than half the teams in the league would have gone on the road against a desperate team after a big win the previous week, and they would have laid an egg. The Redskins didn't. I, I told you on Friday the only reason I don't have them in the smell test is it seemed like it was telegraphed. And thank God I didn't put him in the smell test. The smell test would have been even worse this week. I think right now I am 4-6 and six with Buffalo pending tonight to try to get to 5-6. and six. Still up for the year, though, no matter what happens tonight. But piling up wins is the most important thing this team is doing. But there's something else, something else equally as interesting, if you will. And I'm not going to sit here and hit you with platitudes or coach speak or even columnist speak, but they're beginning to develop an identity. An identity. You always hear that. What's their identity? What's a team's identity? You know what their identity is right now? Well, they're 5-2 and and in first place. But their identity is they stop the run and they run the football. That's what they do. And this kind of identity is a winning NFL identity in most cases. The fact that it happens to be the Redskins' identity right now 
is really getting interesting and it's truly unique because what haven't they been able to do now for years? Stop the run and run the football. Now, next week may require more offense than they've produced. We'll worry about that later in the week. Uh, Let's enjoy this week and yesterday for now. Takeaway number two, sort of a high-level takeaway, and I'll get to the, the, the good, bad, and the other, but just a couple of quick overarching themes, if you will. Defense travels. Defense gives you a chance always. The Giants' offensive line is bad. But the Redskins' defensive line dominated the line of scrimmage from the jump. Their run defense right now is one of the better run defenses in the league with Payne, Allen, and Ioannidis. I can't even figure out which of the three is better because they're all really good right now. They've also got active linebackers. I think Mason Foster is off to an incredible start. If they had had Allen and Foster and Ioannidis healthy last year, I think you would have seen a much better defensive result. Their safeties are involved in the run game. The defense is giving them a chance right now. While the offense, let's just say, is limited because it is. The third takeaway from the win over the game is just Adrian Peterson. Um, I I don't even think I need to go into deep explanation, but the value that he has provided this team after they lost Darius Geis, and we don't even know what Geis would have turned out to be. But if you're going back and forth between Fat Rob and Samaj P. Ryan, are you getting the same results right now? I don't think so. I don't think they'd be a 5-2 and football team right now. Adrian Peterson, the acquisition of Peterson is already the number one off-season move for this football team and right now one of the real act one of the star acquisitions one of the smartest acquisitions by any team in the league any team in the league what he's given this team through seven games also one last thing and that is this one doesn't need it's the same as last week it doesn't need any kind of an apology if you're going to give me that, yeah, they're 5-2 and two, and they beat the Giants and the Giants stink and it was a one-score game, it was 7-3 midway through the third quarter, and you're not going to recognize a lot of the good they're doing. I'm not naive to think that this is like sustainable against the Saints or the Rams. All right, I, I'm not thinking in terms of Super Bowl at this point for this team. But if you think that this kind of winning needs an apology, it, you got a problem. You got a problem. It's a good formula for winning, and that's that's where I'll start right now. The good. This is my list. Uh, I'll start with the formula. You run it. You stop the run. You win the turnover battle. You make some plays on special teams. And oh, by the way, how about the day Tress Way had? He punted it. Great coverage was great. Hopkins missed one early, then hit a huge 53-yard field goal to give them a 10-3, 7-point third-quarter lead. When you play the way they've played and you let the other team self-destruct rather than you self-destructing, Giants turned it over twice. They committed 11 penalties. They ran into the punter, which gave the Redskins a first down. They had multiple drops in the game. The fourth and three drop by Engram uh, was a 10-3 game at that point in the fourth quarter. That was a massive mistake by the Giants. The Skins are plus six in the turnover margin the last three games. 
That's not the only reason. The other things I've mentioned are important because it's not like they're, tur- they're, they're turning these turnovers into points at a furious pace. But plus six over three games has given them a huge advantage. But what's really been obvious in these three games is the dominance at the line of scrimmage. Defensively so good. The return of the full offensive line last week really helped, even though they had lost and they did lose some offensive linemen today. Trent Williams with a dislocated thumb. We'll ask JP about his status. But the offensive line was very good for most of the game. They're dominating the line of scrimmage here the last three weeks. The formula, run it, stop the run, win the turnover battle, make some plays on special teams, win field position. They didn't win it necessarily today, but in key spots they backed the Giants up. Make the other team lose the game or allow the other team to lose the game. The run defense was spectacular. The Giants rushed for 37 yards on 14 carries. Barkley had 38 on 13 carries. 2.9 yards per carry for Saquon Barkley. It's Allen, it's Payne, it's Ioannidis, everyone else behind them. From the worst rush defense in the league a year ago to one of, if not right now, the best. Remember, again, it was a good year early before the injuries to Allen, Ioannidis, and Foster. I think they would have been a much better defense last year without the injuries. That's why I always say to to the people who say stop using them as excuses. No, they're reasons. You can see this year. Now, Payne's the new addition, but Allen, Ioannidis, and Foster, if they were on that defense a year ago, you would have ended up with another two wins at least. The pass rush yesterday was dominant. Seven sacks against an albeit terrible offensive line. I'll grant you that. But the Redskins made the Giants one-dimensional, and then they got interior pressure consistently, and then they came from the edges too. Kerrigan looked strong. I think Preston Smith, even though he's not getting the numbers, looks good. Ioannidis' strength is ridiculous. He had two and a half sacks. Matt Ioannidis had two and a half sacks. Kerrigan was credited with a sack and a half. It really didn't matter who got the credit for the sacks or who got the sacks. They were all there with a chance. The sacks were basically doubled by the pressures and hits. At least it seemed that way. Next on the good list is Adrian Peterson and the rush offense as a whole. Uh, the 64-yard TD run to ice the game was great. Great blocking by Sheriff in particular. Uh, But their balance even before that run was a credit to their ability to mix in a ton of different runs. Peterson and Thompson runs from the gun. Peterson a few runs on that pound draw with Alex Smith under center. There was read option in this game. There was speed option in in the game. Smith was involved in the run game today. Thought he could have kept it on a couple of those zone reads if they were actually zone reads. The Skins ran it 33 times for 182 yards, and Peterson went Peterson went for a buck 49 on 26. He carried it more than in any game this year, primarily because Thompson wasn't completely healthy. You could see that. Bibbs got banged up too, and Samaje Pirine was inactive. 33 runs on the day, 32 passes. I would call that balance, ladies and gentlemen, and it's exactly what they are right now. They are a balanced offensive team. They need to be better when they throw it. More on that coming up. Uh, One more thing, too, on Peterson. His touchdown catch, nobody can tackle him. 
if they're by themselves. Nobody. On the good list, plus one in the turnover margin, the Swearinger INT in the red zone was one of the plays of the game. He felt Beckham coming underneath after Engram had cleared towards the end zone, and he made a great combined instinctual, but I would call it a preparation play. That's one of those things where you studied what they're going to do in the red zone on that kind of play. And Swearinger is a film watcher. That was a great play and a massive play in the game. The special teams, look, Hopkins missed an early field goal, but the 53-yard field goal that he made was one of the big plays of the game also because they were up 7-3. It gave him a 10-3 lead if he misses it. Now, the Giants aren't doing much, but they start at the 43-yard line, down 7-3. He banged that thing in off the upright. How about Tressway? 49.2 yards per punt, three of his five punts inside the 20. His best punt, if you recall, was after he had gotten run into, which gave the Skins another set of downs. He appeared to be hurt. It didn't look like he was going to come back in when they had to punt it after the next series. Hopkins went out there for the punt, and then Way said, nah, I'm back in, and that was his best punt of the day. It was a 59-yard punt with no return. It was a huge field flip. Individually, I mean, Peterson, despite the fumble, was just unbelievable. Swearinger, again, with the play of the day, or certainly one of the plays of the day with that interception. Uh, Swearinger was really good elsewhere, too, not just that play. He had the other interception on sort of a, a play that looked like the Giants were throwing it up for grabs and figuring, you know what, it's just as good as a punt if it, if it gets picked off, except that Swearinger had a great return. He had another two to three exceptional plays in coverage. The third and goal throw to Barkley before the field goal that made it 13-6, to six, he broke up. He had excellent tackles, including one on Engram in the open field. I don't even know where to start in terms of individual excellence along the defensive front. Again, I'm not sure who's better, Ioannidis, Allen, or Payne right now. Foster's really good, nearly had a pick six. I thought Norman made some plays. Stroman got beat but also made a great play on that deep ball to Shepard where he yanked it out of his hands. Brandon Sheriff was outstanding. Reed was targeted a bunch. Um, he was missed too many times. We'll get to that with the quarterback in a bit. Tressway, as I mentioned, incredible. You wouldn't think a 20-13 to win over a 1-6 and football team where your lead was 7-3 to for much of the game would generate so much positivity. But you're nuts if you don't recognize this as overcoming what would have been in the past, a game where they would have shown up fat and happy and laid a big turd. They would have in the past. The Giants are terrible in most spots, but God is their offensive line horrendous. It's an embarrassment, really. I can't even believe the people that put this all on Eli. Are you watching this offensive line the last few weeks for the Giants? I'm not about to, to anoint the Skins' defensive front as sort of the purple people eaters of the 70s. It's not, not quite yet anyway. It's young, though. And it's good, and it seems to be getting better. Look, Atlanta next week is going to be the first team since New Orleans that can really throw it and can really score. So next week's game is sort of a retake of the test that they failed miserably in New Orleans. They get to take it again. It's also a game 
that will put more pressure, I think, on the offense to do more as well. Let's get to the things uh, that I didn't love. Not enough scoring. Um, Look, I'm fine with winning the last three games, averaging 18.5 points on offense. Um, Perhaps if they were forced to score more, they could, although it doesn't really look like it. I'm not burying my head in the sand and ignoring the biggest issue on this team right now, which is the play of Alex Smith. And I'm going to get to that in more detail. I'm thrilled that he isn't turning the ball over. And yes, given the nature of these last three games, turnovers would have been deadly, certainly against Carolina or Dallas. Maybe not yesterday. The Giants weren't going to move the ball. They weren't going to score a lot of points no matter where they started from. Bottom line, this kind of football gives you a chance to win most weeks. Against really good teams that can score, um, you're going to be in a spot here next week maybe where you need an inside straight to sort of win with just this formula without doing much more. At some point along the way, usually in the postseason, unless you have a special defense, and I'm not sure it's that quite yet, you have to make some plays on offense. you got to score more points. The Redskins have had short field opportunities and haven't been able to really make their opponent pay for it. Um, Next week, I do. I I think they're going to have to do more offensively. Against Houston, they may have to do more offensively. Against the Eagles in December, twice, they may have to do more offensively. Not enough scoring right now would be the number one list on the things that I don't love right now. But again, you know, they're not taking a lot of chances either because of the kind of games they've been in. Another thing I didn't like from yesterday, why was Stroman on Beckham Jr. on 3rd and 17? Somebody explain that one to me. Let's try to not have that happen. Now next week, you know, you've got a, a similar situation with a much better offensive line and a better quarterback in terms of the receivers. You've got Julio Jones, you've got Calvin Ridley, you've got Mohamed Sanu. Strowman's going to have to cover somebody, but I wouldn't on third and 17 have him man up against Julio Jones next week. I wouldn't. Uh, I'll throw in one other sort of didn't love yesterday. He had one catch on sort of a quick bootleg, Vernon Davis did, but he had an offensive PI that was sort of obvious and dropped a pass on a bootleg late. Um, you notice that I didn't put Alex Smith on this list because that's the end of my the things I didn't like list. He was on the list last week. I wasn't thrilled with him, but I didn't think it was a C-D performance like last week's. And I'm going to get to that with sort of some additional observations here. All right, let me start with Alex Smith. I thought he was better uh, this week at some things. I thought he was more patient against the pressure, which was a good thing. Um, But I also thought he was really inaccurate at times, like he's been this season. Look, the good things, better patience, not bailing too quickly with pressure. He made a great third and nine throw to Doxon after avoiding pocket pressure, stepping up, getting it out under duress. The third and six early third quarter to Richardson against the Blitz for 25 yards. That was the biggest pass play of the day. There were a couple of others, um, but there were too many misses. The third and one to read in the fourth quarter was really awful. You, I mean, you've got to be able to convert third and one to a wide open. Your number one target in that situation is wide open, and you airmailed it. The deep throw to Richardson that went deep left while Richardson was like right of center was about as ugly a throw as you'll ever see. 
should have been picked um, because it was thrown badly. It was thrown so badly, though, that it really didn't give the defensive back a chance because he was too far away from it. The second play from scrimmage in the game was a throw that was off, could have been picked. He had a third and down, uh, he had a third and 10 check down before the missed field goal in the first half that was too quick to check it down to read, I thought. Looked like they may have just been trying to get better field goal position. Um, so if he was told, look, don't take a sack and get knocked out of field goal range, check it down quickly, fine. Um, he threw one early. Uh, on a third and five in the third quarter to Reed that bounced off Reed's helmet. It was early in the third. That's what I meant to say. It was early in the third quarter, third and five, and he threw it too quickly to Reed. Could have been caught, but thrown sort of too early. Maybe he panicked a little bit too early, got rid of it too early. He also had the deep shot to Reed before the 53-yard field goal. Never even gave Reed a shot on that. You know, as I'm going through this and going through my list of Alex Smith things, I I may want to throw him on the – the list of of bad for the week. I just sort of felt like we saw some things that were improved from a week ago. Like if I think last week I gave him a C minus. I think this week I'd give him a C. So he 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 moved up half a grade. I, I just didn't I, the the patience in the pocket and versus the pressure that was a big improvement, or at least it was a moderate improvement this week. Uh, I want to give some credit to the Redskins player acquisition department here because you know what? The acquisition of Peterson uh, is an A+. And it is, you know, very, very, uh, it's a very big reason, maybe the number one reason right now, certainly in the top two or three reasons that they are 5-2. and two. They added Swearinger last year. He's becoming a very good safety, very good safety. Uh, they have added young defensive talent up front. And let's not forget some young talent along the offensive line recently. These are two areas of the team that for basically a decade and a half they ignored. They didn't realize that winning in the trenches meant you had to actually draft offensive and defensive linemen. And the Redskins have done that over the last few years, and it's starting to pay off. They have a really good young defensive front. That is so encouraging. Imagine this team if they can add in the offseason an outside pass rusher, edge pass rusher with some speed, and another corner. Uh, The field position, you know, I've, I've raved about that the last couple of weeks. They actually didn't win the field position battle. Um, literally, if you if you go by the numbers, the Giants uh, the Giants actually had a starting average field position of their own twenty seven yard line, and the Redskins was their their own twenty four. But it was still a good day for the Redskins. They they made the Giants have to go long distances every time uh, they didn't uh, you know move the ball and score points, which was most of the time. Um, and they made the Giants. They realized that you know if they back the Giants up, even if it's you know. 25, 20-yard line, the Giants just weren't going to go those long distances, not with that offensive line. Uh, I like the attempt early to get Jordan Reed the ball, um, even though his five catches in the first half amounted to 24 yards. He ended up with seven catches on 12 targets for 38 yards. It could have been a bigger day for Jordan Reed, but Smith missed him on some of those targets, including that third and one that I just mentioned a little while ago in the fourth quarter. 
I don't like Jordan Reed lining up in the backfield, allowing the Giants to blitz, which forced him in to block. I want Jordan Reed out. I don't want him blocking. A couple of other things. Jay Gruden, end of first half clock management was excellent. I don't care what you people say. When he used those timeouts at the end of the half on defense, which got his team the ball back, I know they didn't do anything with it. And because of that, they get the Giants. Uh, They gave the Giants the ball back. But I like Jay Gruden thinking in terms of extra possessions. It's like a lot of these coaches don't use their timeouts on defense to get extra possessions, and somebody must have gotten through to him because he used it at a, at a minute 22 and then after the next play as well, and they had plenty of time. They just couldn't make a play. I actually was surprised the Giants just let the clock roll off after a first down sack. Uh, at the end of the first half. I thought they might be more aggressive from their own 29-30 yard line. A couple of other things. How about Josh Doxson? Five catches on five targets. How about the return of Richardson? That helps, and it'll help more. His speed is a difference maker on this team, even if Alex Smith doesn't always find him. Um, Olivier Vernon, I just wanted to mention, he's excellent. Man, if they had a, a, a pass, if they had a, a defensive end pass rusher like Vernon to go side by side with Allen or Payne, wow! And I think Preston Smith and, and Ryan Kerrigan are playing well. Don't get me wrong; I think Smith is playing well, even though his numbers aren't necessarily there. Uh, the injuries: Trent with a thumb dislocation, Bibbs with a shoulder dislocation, Ryan Anderson with an MCL sprain, and then you've got Quentin Dunbar and. I don't know what his situation is. Trade deadlines this week, will they make a move? I bet they don't. Wouldn't bother me if they did for a defensive player. Um, and if you told me that I had a choice right now of a pass rusher or a corner, first of all, you have to tell me about Quentin Dunbar and what his injury is and how long he's going to be out. But I still think I'd take the pass rusher. And Chandler Jones in Arizona, according to reports, could be available. I'd take him. Well, I wouldn't take him because they're not going to give him to me. But if he comes at a reasonable cost and you get your your edge pass rusher, you get a top three pass rusher, because that's what Chandler Jones is, top three to five anyway in the NFL, and you add that to this defense, wow. And I don't even know what this defense is at this point. We're going to have a better sense of how far it's come since the New Orleans debacle when we see it against Atlanta on Sunday. But we know one thing. It's a good run defense. It's a really good run-stopping defense. And that's how you have to start defensively. You've got to stop the run. I'd love the pass rush to be better. You faced a terrible offensive line when you got your seven sacks yesterday. I'd love one more pass rusher. I still, if I had to bet, I would bet that the Redskins do not make a trade deadline deal. 
Let me tell you about Window Nation. Window Nation is my favorite window company, and I think it should be yours too. Temperatures are falling fast, and it's a great reminder that your window, pun intended, for getting new windows installed before the holidays and the snow hits, is closing. While most window companies are experiencing 12-week lead times, Window Nation can do it in less than half the time and save you half the money. Call today and get two free windows for every two you buy. Buy four, get four free. Buy six, get six free. There is no limit. There's only one thing better than free windows. How about free financing? And for the next two weeks, Window Nation is offering no interest for five full years. So it's new windows now and no interest for 60 months. Call the window company that over 80,000 homeowners, including me, have already trusted and take advantage of this amazing offer now. Get two windows for every two windows you buy, plus 0% interest for five years. Windonation.com, you'll save this winter and forever on your energy bills. Eliminate those nasty drafts and start enjoying all the benefits of new windows today. That's windonation.com or call 866-90-NATION. Let's bring in J.P. Finley from NBC Sports Washington, who uh, was there yesterday for the Redskins' win to get to 5-2, to 20-13 over the Giants. Is your takeaway going to be the same as it was a week ago? Yeah, I, I don't know. How, not much has changed. The defense is just stifling. Um, what they're doing in the run game is, is really, really impressive. They beat up on Eli Manning the whole day. Um, the run game for the Redskins is working well. Adrian Peterson's playing great. And the pass game is, is very much a work in progress still. Who's better right now, Allen, Payne, or Ioannidis? I can't figure it out because they're all three incredibly effective right now up front. I just wrote a story about them for our website. Uh, they're crazy good, what they're doing right now. But honestly, I think it's Payne, and maybe that's crazy because he's the rookie, but he he's the best of the three in run defense, and he's still piling up the sacks like the other two are. So, I mean, you know, at the time we were debating Vita Vea or Deron Payne. Yeah, right. The, the Skins, I, I think he's got to seriously be in the defensive rookie of the year conversation. And I, and I know there's a lot of football left, but he's he's a special, special player. And he's young, man. I, I mean, he, I don't even think he has to shave. When I see him, I can't believe how young he looks but how crazy strong he is. You know, the other thing, too, is we have focused here over the last three weeks um, on the front sort of three in particular, um, and even the outside linebackers who have provided more edge rush here over the last two weeks uh, in particular. But I think Mason Foster, once again, is having a very good season. I thought he was having a very good season last year before he got hurt. He's a tackling machine, but he also, I think JP, has great instincts. He almost had a pick six yesterday, and we saw last year a couple of times where he was always seemingly in the right place at the right time. Absolutely, and, and he's, a, you know, he's a vocal leader for that defense as well. Um, and he and Zach Brown are, are really a really good pair because Mason is so smart and instinctive, like you said, where, where ZB is just this physical, crazy stud with this crazy speed. And, and they team up well. I don't, I don't know if you notice how much more Josh Harvey Clemens is starting to play, and Mason's the one never coming off the field. Um, certainly, he's been really good for them. 
having those guys in front of him lets him be much better as well because, you know, I picked Payne, but Allen and Ioannidis are all playing really, really at a very high level. And um, it's, you know, this was the conversation we had on my podcast because last week, and I guess I'm still optimistic in, in some capacity that the pass game will improve, it, just because it almost has to, right? But how good is this defense? Is, is this a truly elite defense that could maybe carry them in January? Like we've seen some really truly elite defenses. I don't know that they're there yet, but you've got playmakers at every level. I mean, what Swearinger is doing, he's the best safety in football right now. Um, we talked about the D-line, and, and then Zach and Mason in the middle are are exactly what you want them to be. Yeah, I think the only thing you know, we have to be careful of is we just have to recognize the last two opponents offensively. You know, totally, li- limit, totally. limited in some respects. And the last real good offensive team they played was New Orleans, and we know how that... Boat race. Yeah, right. so we know how that went. Although, you know, Carolina, they did a pretty good job against uh, as well. And, and you mentioned yeah. Harvey Clemens. He's clearly coming in for, for Zach Brown uh, in some of these pass situations against some of these backs that they're concerned about. And he's done a, a pretty good job against the McCaffreys and yesterday uh, in Barkley. You mentioned um, you mentioned Mason Foster, and it's, it actually dovetails perfectly into my next question, which was going to be, you know, over the last few years, there's always been sort of a lack of obvious leadership on this team. Trent Williams has always been uh, Trent, yeah, Trent's always been one. Are there new players emerging as leaders? Because I sort of get this sense that DJ. Swearinger is one. Certainly, but but I would say John Allen is. It's been impressive to watch kind of the, the vocal, and, and he's not a, he doesn't say a lot, but what he does say is important, and I think it carries weight. Um, Swearinger, absolutely, but like, that's kind of obvious. You know, I mean, he's a vocal guy. He's always kind of doing the, uh, the hype speeches, all that sort of stuff. But, you know, one person who really, since that Saints game, has seemed different to his teammates, um, I tweeted this out after the win. Josh Norman, when so I'm in the tunnel where all those guys are coming off the field after the game, and most of the guys are in pretty good spirits, smiling. You know, they've won three in a row. They, they've won two in the division already. Um, but Josh Norman was furious. He was furious, angry, and he was yelling and and seething with anger and and we were all trying to figure out you know what what is going on here what's he so mad about it was the kind of thing where i thought he must have gotten like cheap shotted late in the game or something um ends up he was just so mad about that garbage time touchdown that the giants scored and i tweeted out his quote he said you know i'll take accountability on that it was my fault i'm so mad about it you can't give up even in those situations and and hearing Norman say that and act like that I I think that carries a lot of weight in that in that room as well I mean Norman is still playing at a very high level and he's a star you know he's one of the few guys on this team that has commercials and and all that sort of stuff for Norman to be all the way in shows they they got something special brewing with that defense I don't know especially with the Quentin Dunbar situation, just how good they can be. But um, they, the, 
there's a different feel, especially defensively this season, than than I've seen with the Redskins in a long time. Yeah, it's um. Look, they they said all of them said all of the right things about not being satisfied at this point at five and two, not getting overconfident. You know, this is a team in in the past when there's been limited amounts of success. It has at times sort of gone to their head, and you've got guys. You've already mentioned a few of them um, that are all clearly trying to stay focused and realize you know, the opportunity at hand. And I know it's so cliche, but it really is about, you know, moving on to the next one and playing the next right. one regardless and, and of th- – yeah, go ahead. Sorry. I think – I'm sorry. No, I think we talked about this last week. I, I still think the Falcons are a tremendous test because the Giants are just terrible, you know. I mean, let's be honest. They have explosive weapons in Saquon and Odell, but that's a bad football team. The Cowboys – Run the ball well, but that's exactly what the Redskins are built to stop. So that, you know, in a way, even though the Cowboys and the Panthers were, are good teams, that is a good matchup for Washington. I don't know that the Falcons are a good matchup because of the aerial attack. You know, Julio and Ridley and Mohamed Sanu, they're going to try to air it out on you. And especially if Dunbar's not back, I, I think it's a very different challenge. And it'll be good to see. It's a good test to see if the Skins' defense is really that good or if they're really good playing one style. Yeah, I mean, I I said earlier, I said essentially they get to retake the test that they failed in New Orleans, and it's this Sunday against Atlanta. And, And you know what? If you look at what they have, you know, over the next few weeks, this really is you know, the test because they've got so many weapons. They can really throw the ball. They can run the ball even without Devontae Freeman when they want to with Tevin Coleman. So it's going to be a test. I want to I flip it to the other side of the ball because we haven't talked enough here uh, uh, offensively. Um, how would you, JP, describe Jay Gruden's feelings right now on his offense? Um. I think he, he's quite happy with how they're running the football, obviously. Um, I think he's happy with his offensive line. I think he's unhappy with his quarterback. And he's not going to say that. And Alex isn't turning the ball over, and that's important. They are, I believe, they're plus eight in turnover differential, which is going to – I mean, they're probably top three in the league, something like that. They were, they were tied for fourth in the league in turnover differential going into right. the Giants. Um, so they were plus but, one. It's it's not going to get any worse. Right, 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 exactly. And I think plus two, right? Oh, no, because Peterson had the fumble, right? No, right. yeah, they were plus one, um, yeah. I think um, I think Gruden is, is obviously frustrated with Alex. Alex is leaving plays on the field, and I, I think Alex is probably frustrated too. Um, you know, Richardson was back out there today. He had – they they very clearly made an effort to go to Jordan Reed early and often. I, I think Jay did a good job on Sunday of of trying to force the ball to playmakers. I mean, that, you know, kind of funky end around to Paul Richardson was about getting him a touch. Right. And um you know, the Gruden's off you can say a lot of things that, you know, maybe he doesn't have the receivers or, or whatever, but but Gruden's offense has proven that you can pile up yardage, kind of no matter what. Even if you go back to 2014, when all three of R.G. three Colt and Kirk all started games, 
even go back to that year, which was a, a really train wreck season for the Redskins. It was Gruden's first year. They were rebuilding. Those three guys combined for more than 4,000 pass yards. So 4,000 should really be kind of the standard for this offense. And, I mean, if you extrapolate Alex's numbers right now, he's going to get nowhere close. Three games in a row, he's at under 200 pass yards. That's a problem. It is. It is. It is a problem. But you know, the other three quarterbacks that that you know had well, two of the three anyway, that had some success with Jay didn't have a running game and didn't have a defense sure. to sort of rely on. Um, totally. uh, you know, I, I, so I think they can win games this way. I, 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 I do have, too. I, I'm not saying, but I, I think you know, if you get some truth serum. Jay wants to be able to – I think what's separating them, and I think probably a reason – I think a fair amount of fans are still pretty skeptical. I think a big part of that skepticism is that they're so limited offensively. And that's why the Falcons, again, I mean, you're going to have to score some points to beat these teams, and, and can the Redskins do it? And if they show they're able to, I mean, the real breakout we saw was the first half of that Packers game, right? If they can replicate that in some capacity, then I think you start talking about how good can this team be. I think clearly the Rams and the Saints are the class of the NFC, um, but maybe are the Skins right there after them? Those are the conversations you start having if they can get the pass game going. Look, I don't think either one of us has given him, you know, an overly amount of benefit of doubt, uh, Alex Smith I'm talking about. But the the one thing I would also say is, you know, they've played some pretty good defensive teams, at least talent-wise here, over this stretch as well. And again, the, the teams they faced also were limited offensively, so they didn't have to do a lot offensively. I want to see this coming Sunday when they may be forced to sort of keep pace uh, with the opponent. And maybe the defense is so much better than we even think that they'll shut down the Falcons. Um, but right. uh, but they certainly didn't do it against the Saints, and, and we'll see. You're right about one thing, and, and people can, can bitch and, and scream all they want about Jay Gruden. And personally, I think he's a very middling, you know, average overall head coach but he gets people open period and he's done it since he got here he is able through his past schemes and designs he's able to get people open um i wanted to ask you real quickly about a couple of players one josh Doxson, sort of quietly i would guess although redskin fans have noticed certainly but he's been targeted more hell he was targeted five times and caught all five balls that he was targeted on uh in the game career against high. the giants uh the, a career high in what receptions or or percentage he had never of... had a five catch game isn't that crazy oh my god i had no idea and, I... and you can this year you can say you know alex isn't throwing the ball to him or or well but you know, he played with Kirk all last year, too, and yeah. never had a five-catch five game. It's pretty wild. Yeah, I mean, it's not like they're getting huge plays out of him, but they've moved the sticks with a couple of them, and the bottom line is he's caught everything and, and caught some of that stuff in traffic, too. We're, you know, remember the last couple of years, you know, we, we had some short-arm situations uh, with Josh. Um, but, I mean, look, I still he's see it. physical, and he hasn't before. Two weeks in a row, he's been a really good blocker. Yes. Um, Doxon is playing well. That period. 
The one thing I notice with him, I, I agree that he's been a physical player and seemingly a more confident player, but you don't see a ton of separation with Doxson. Um, or, or am I imagining that? No, because even on the, you know, I think we talked about this last week, and I admit that this is mostly just anecdotal. The one, th- the one part of the passing game that I think Alex deserves some credit is that he tends to be good on third down. They, they go on these really long, ugly offensive drives that don't always even result in points, but they, they possess the ball for a while, and some of that is, is picking up first downs. Uh, but you're right. I mean, they're running Doxon on these slants and this this over the middle stuff where he's he's getting hit, and it it seems like the corners are on him. Yeah. But he's able to come down with the ball. Yeah, t- tight windows, um, and not a lot of separation where Jay's, you know, design usually gets separation. Um, what did you make of the attempt early? Uh, I think it was a, it was sort of a dual attempt to Third get one. well to get Jordan Reed going early and also to to get Alex maybe some confidence early with the the early throws to Reed. Um, I think they did it on purpose, and I think it was smart, and it's great. Jordan Reed, I think he had seven catches in the game, but seven catches for less than fifty yards, thirty-eight yards, thirty-eight yeah, yards, I mean, yeah. He's getting what five yards a catch. That is um, tough sledding, man. <laughs> it, it's and then the 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 third down and the third and one is uh, yeah when he sailed it over. Reed, yeah, right? I mean that's an easy pitch and catch. Move the chains. I mean, well, that's the right. thing, right? I and mean, I'm talking about that he's good on third down, <laughs> right? Well, what's what's ironic is he's made some plays. He hasn't been an F in any of these games, but the surprising thing to me is his inaccuracy because I, I don't remember when he was go- when he had it going to a certain extent in Kansas City and even in San Francisco there was there were con- they were confident confident throws and they were accurate throws. He's been inaccurate for three consecutive weeks. Well and one of the things that I that I found especially odd in New York was against the Panthers and against the Cowboys, he just didn't seem settled in the pocket. He 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 was moving his feet too early. A lot of times he was scrambling when he didn't need to. Right. Um, I thought we saw less of that. Sunday. Me, me I, too. I, thought, I agree. But he was still inaccurate, which is, is just you know it, it wasn't about keeping his eyes down the field. It was it just he was just sailing the ball. And I mean the deep shot to Richardson. I assume that he thought he was breaking that route inside, or so I don't know. But that ball was bad. That was that was a legit bad throw. <laughs> that was a horrible throw. But back right. to back to being uh, or adding to what you were were trying to say in terms of something positive about him. I actually thought his patience against pressure was much better this week. Agreed. Th- than Agreed. it was last week, even though they didn't convert always. Um, all right, before I let you run, can I ask you one thing? Sure. So on 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 our podcast, we do a segment after the game, game balls and goats. So game balls if you played well, and we call you a goat if you played bad. We had like a ten minute debate if Alex is a goat in that game. No. Less so this week than last week. Last week, I thought was um, a, 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 it wasn't a tragic performance, but it was certainly C minus D territory. I, today, I, w- I would probably 
put it slightly better. He made some plays today. He he actually stepped up a couple of times and made some throws. You know, the third and six yep. early third quarter to Richardson, you know, that was against the Blitz, I believe, for 25 he yards. Dropped that over the linebacker, I think. Yeah. yeah, had a third and nine throw to Doxon where he sort of avoided some pressure in the pocket, stepped up, got it out under duress. You know, he, he made some plays and Look, right now, given the way they stop the run and the way they run the football, um, you, you're you okay you know, with a first down, maybe two of them, and a punt, if that's what happens on the drive, right. versus him trying to force something right now because yep. they don't need it. They may need it Sunday, though. Well, and, and they don't have the margins for a turnover. In the, in the current framework of, of how they're winning games, they cannot afford an INT, you know. They and and he's not doing that. So I agree. We did he, we did not give him one, but you know he also didn't get a game ball either. I I think yesterday was the first day I I would have felt like even if they had turned it over or made a big mistake that the defense may have gotten a stop because that giant offensive line is honestly the worst I've seen in the NFL in years, really in years. Bad. Bad, um, bad, bad. All right, real quickly uh, is. Trent Williams has the fractured thumb or dislocated thumb. That's not going to stop him from playing, will it? I don't know. We talked to him in the locker room for a few minutes after the game, and he seemed to be okay. But generally, it, when you ask Trent, like, oh, are you going to be able to play? He kind of gives you this look like, man, of course, I, I always play. And And he didn't give me that look. He had a different kind of response. He's like, He's like, you know, I try to play through everything, but when defensive guys get a hand injury, they can play through it because they just make it a club. But offensive guys, like, like I need my hands to keep guys out of the backfield. And uh, the, th- the thumb looked bad. It looked like a bad injury. So I don't, I don't know. We'll know more by next week. But um, it, it's remarkable because nobody can replace Trent Williams. But Ty Secchi for for everything people want him to play guard people want him to play the, he's you know, a tackle not only is he a tackle he's guy, a left tackle but he's a left tackle yeah, like I, I that's agree. where he's best suited to play yeah i tend to agree with you um you know he's not trent but he's he's he can be pretty good atlanta atlanta's struggled at times defensively they they've had some injuries they do however have some really good edge rushers in in beasley in particular who's really developed into a good player um you know they still have uh i i think they still have brooks reed in in the the rookie from or not the rookie the second year guy from ucla mckinley they've got some pass rushers um, so it, it would be nice to have Trent, but uh, you only want him completely healthy. And you mentioned Dunbar just real quickly again for the second time before I let you run. Is Dunbar in, in trouble of missing a lot of games with this nerve injury? What's this injury about? I, it seems like nobody really knows. It's a nerve in his shin that's just not responding, and in turn he can't run, and uh, he needs to be able to run. So – the fact that they didn't rule him out on Friday, that they, they he traveled with the team, he was in New York, I talked to him for a few minutes. Um, you know, I, I think with nerves, you just have to let it rest and hope that it kind of regenerates. Um, but it, it it's a tr- the fact that 
he was listed as questionable and they brought him up here means maybe they were hoping it could work and he could play on Sunday, which is a good sign. But, you know, from everything I've seen of him at, uh, at the practice field and the facility, I, I, I think it's a, a real question mark to the point where if they are having conversations around the tra- trade deadline, I would say corner is the number one spot they should be looking at. Will they be looking at Janoris Jenkins, a guy who had two penalties on one play yesterday? I, I I don't know. I, I, I the the stuff between the Skins and the Giants. I'd be hard to believe. I I hear you. Pull but, off a trade. But what but, other corners are really available that could really help them? I, I mean, I'd love to think. I think that you pe- look at Denver. You look at the Broncos, who you know reportedly are having discussions on lots of things, and um, you know, you if you can get a guy like like Chris Harris or something, you're talking about somebody that can if. If they this team is five and two, first place in the NFC East, you know just just run the numbers. They look like they're going to make the playoffs. If you think you are a team that can make noise in the playoffs, but you're missing a corner, I think this is the time to be aggressive. I don't know that they will, and I don't know that they should. But if you line all those, it, it, it a lot of it will depend on what their medical team is telling them about Dunbar. And I just don't think they have the answer right now because Dunbar is a good player when he's on the field. I agree. Uh, I was thinking about this earlier about a, a trade deadline move, and I read early this morning that p- potentially that Arizona would be willing to move Chandler Jones. Um, and if you told me right now, wow. even with the injury to Dunbar, would you take you know an elite pass rusher uh, Always. over over you know? Dunbar coming back, as an example, or replacing him with a new corner. Give me the elite pass rusher right now, because Always. if if they I, I ha- mean, yeah, if they had one on this team, wow, because uh, yeah, they yeah, still would, they, they still don't have that 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 exceptional speed edge rusher. And and I think Kerrigan and Preston Smith are playing great. A lot of that is you know interior uh, sort of influenced as well. Yeah, I'm glad you said Preston too because. He's not putting the numbers up right now, but he is playing well, and I think it's important for fans to know that. Uh, thanks for doing this. Uh, Redskins Talk podcast for JP. Um, you can find that anywhere you find podcasts, plus just go to NBCSports.com, uh, you know, Washington slash Washington, and you can find it there as well. Have a great day. We'll catch up next week, hopefully after another win. Um, five and two is amazing. Uh, I, don't wow. know that, I don't know that anybody saw this coming after New Orleans. And, you know, Gruden had a really good quote in postgame just that uh, after that Saints game, you know, we had to figure out who, we're, who we were going to be. And the leaders on this team stepped up, and, and we've decided we're fighting back. Something to that effect. And it, he's right. I mean, that Saints game was as embarrassing a loss as this team's had in a decade, and they've responded. Thanks, JP. Appreciate it as always. Thanks, Kevin. Take care, bud. J.P. Finley, again, that Redskins Talk podcast, listen to that. And J.P.'s been joining us uh, on the days after games this year, and hopefully that will continue. I love uh, the conversation with him on the day after the game. Farish Chrysler Dodge Jeep in Fairfax. You know Farish, uh, Ralph Perkins, Kevin Farish. I've talked about him a lot. They're friends of mine for over a decade. And if you've been thinking about something new, 
I would love you to consider Farish. They have really supported this podcast. They've had my back on this thing. They supported uh, everything that I was involved in for over a decade at 980. Farish Chrysler Dodge Jeep, if you're thinking about something new, is a great place to go find that something new. First of all, FarishCars.com. Go to the website, live inventory, live pricing, easy to navigate website. You get to the homepage and it says new inventory, used inventory, schedule service. They make it easy for you. This is what Ralph and Kevin understand. They understand customers. They're smart. And I promise you that if you give them a chance, they won't disappoint. They've got plenty of inventory on the lot right now. Whatever you're looking for, you'll likely find it in the make, model, and color and be able to drive it off the lot. Lots of Jeeps right now, Cherokees, Grand Cherokees, Wranglers, and good deals on them right now. And if you're a family and you're looking for something bigger like a minivan, Chrysler Pacifica, lots of them right now on their lot, and the deals are as good as you'll get all year. If you like this show, you're thinking about uh, buying something new, I give you my word that you'll be taken care of if you head out to Farish and Fairfax and ask for Ralph Perkins. They're located right there in Fairfax Circle. Ask for Ralph when you get there. Tell them I sent you. You can also find out everything Farish has right now, live inventory, live pricing at FarishCars.com. We'll go around the NFL here uh, shortly. Um, there were some games yesterday of note. The Eagles getting a win uh, to get back to 500 with their win in London. They've got a bye week next week. The Cowboys were off. We'll get to all of that shortly. But I wanted to play a, a couple of sound bites from the post-game press conference um, conferences yesterday uh, in the Meadowlands. First, this was Jay Gruden. Um, when he was sort of asked about the team's identity right now being its defense. In this division, um, you got to play great defense, in my opinion. And uh, this is critical for our success. Until we get going offensively, we have to win games like this. And uh, there's nothing wrong with that. It counts the same in a win column, and, and uh, we'll take it. That was Jay Gruden, all right, talking about what we all recognize right now, that the defense is leading the way. The running game's a big part of this too, but the defense is leading the way. And, you know, I, I think he's frustrated with the pass offense in particular. I know he believes there's more out there that's gettable offensively, um, but I, I like the fact that right now there's recognition that it's okay you know, it's it's okay to be winning this way. This is a guy that's that is offensive minded. This is a guy, my uh, my co-host here for two days a week, um, thinks is in pain winning this way. I don't think that's true at all. I think there's an edge to Jay Gruden this year, um, and uh, they've done a good job as an organization adding some pieces to this defense here. Uh, he recognizes what it is. And they're going to have an opportunity, I think, Sunday against Atlanta to get more in the pass offense. They've played three decent defensive teams in a row here in Carolina, uh, Dallas, and the Giants. I know the Giants traded away Eli Apple. He's terrible. I mean, did you see him last night uh, for the Saints against the Vikings? He, he's not any good you know, at this point there. Um, and, and I think the Giants still have some talent defensively. Atlanta's a little bit... Uh, you know, right now undermanned because of some of the uh, some of the injuries they've had defensively. So, I think Gruden's confident that it'll come around. Um, but winning this way, no apologies necessary. Uh, this was Alex Smith. I wanted to pull this one Alex Smith soundbite because I thought it was very interesting. He was asked about 
his involvement in the running game as a runner and was asked specifically if these were designed running plays or sort of options that he had to run it. Um, we saw a couple of times where you took off on the um, the option. It yeah. looks like it was predetermined maybe or you deciding at the moment you're going to do it. Can't or? tell you. <laughs> Top trade secrets. Yeah, very often though. Yeah, I love it. I love to be involved in the run game. I feel like it's a uh, something I still still can do. I still enjoy doing. Uh, you know, you gotta be smart with it uh, as as a quarterback when you when you do get out of there. But it's like I said, it's something I I really enjoy doing. And uh, uh, like I said, like being involved in the in the run game. I love that he loves it because he needs to be a part of it. He was in Kansas City. He was in San Francisco. Him being a part of the run game is helping the run game. You don't necessarily see it on every single run. I'm not suggesting that every single run that Adrian Peterson has is sort of influenced by uh, Alex Smith as a possible runner. Obviously, when he's under center, not necessarily the case. But when they are meshing you know, out of the shotgun and some of that zone read stuff, uh, it does make the defense hesitate because he is capable of pulling it. I actually thought that he could have pulled it on one or two more occasions in the game yesterday, although some of these may have been sort of to look like read options, but they perhaps were not. Um, this last soundbite that I pulled that I wanted to play for you is DJ Swearinger, who I, I think is emerging you know, as a leader, and we talked to JP about some of the, the, the leaders defensively. He said John Allen's really emerging as a big leader. Mason Foster is. Um, but this was DJ Swearinger just talking about keeping the team focused and not getting too overconfident. Well, you know, when we get back, we got to get on to Atlanta. Um, you know, we, we, we're supposed to win this game. You know, we're supposed to be the team that's 1-7. We're supposed to blow them out, truthfully. Um, but, you know, we got the W. That's all that matters. When we go, when we come in next week, you know, it, it's all focused. We, we're not happy. We're not, you know, we, it's all focused, man. We need to be all focused, attention to details. We still haven't did nothing around here. You know, we, we lead them, but we, we haven't won the division. We haven't won the championship. We haven't won the Super Bowl. So there's no room for for lack, lack of days ago, there's no room to come around thinking like we did something. We ain't did nothing yet. You know, we just getting started. We just, we just putting, the, we just putting, the, turning the stove on, man. We ain't even put the grease in yet. You feel me? So we just got to keep it rolling. I haven't even put the grease in yet, even though the stove is on. Look, they've got three of their next four on the road, five of their next seven on the road. You can throw up that number that was thrown up, I think, at the end of the the uh, the telecast of the game today about only one team remaining on their schedule has a winning record, and that's Houston. Um, but you can't look at that schedule and think you're playing a bunch of teams that you're going to be favored against. Now, now they are a slight favorite, believe it or not, over Atlanta. They're a one-and-a-half-point favorite at home over Atlanta. But with Philly twice in December and Houston and at Tampa, a capable offensive team, even if it's with Ryan Fitzpatrick, um, there are no easy games left. And I like Swearinger, and I love his attitude. And and by the way, right now, I th- I think you know he's one of the the five best players on the team right now. You take Adrian Peterson. You take you know any one of those three defensive linemen. May, maybe all three of them. Swearinger and and maybe Sheriff. You know, there's the list. Right, there's the list right now of the players that are really really influencing the outcome of these games. All right, let's go around the NFL. The biggest plays and the clutch moments. 
It's time to go around the NFL. All right, let's start with the game uh, from yesterday morning in London. Philly beat Jacksonville 24-18. to uh, There was a lot going on in this game. A lot going on. Let me just start with this. Uh, Jacksonville really, really killed themselves at the end of that first half. They were up 6-3. They were driving for more likely than not a 9-3 halftime lead. And Cole, the receiver, makes the catch. And there's a a weak hit, not a really big-time hit. He just coughed it up. I mean, really, without it being forced. And Philly turned around, went the distance, scored a touchdown right before the half. Instead of being down 9-3 to at halftime, they're up 10-6 to at halftime. That, that's one of those plays. There are a couple of plays in games that I watched other than the Redskin game where one play at the end of the first half really turned sort of the game uh, on its backside. And that, that going in 9-3... Um, Jacksonville would have had a much better chance to win the game. As it turned out, they still had a chance to win the game. Look, Bortles, you know, you, you the, let me just tell you that Doug Marone afterwards said he thought Blake Bortle, Bortles played well, and most of you probably thought he sucked the entire game. He sacked four times. He was 24-41 for 286 yards. He had a terrible throw on a fourth and two, a no-chance throw with the tight end wide open over the middle, and he went to to, to the back instead. Um, and that was at 24-18 uh, late. Um, I actually don't completely disagree with Doug Marone. I thought he got sort of hot in the second half. As much as Blake Bortles can get hot throwing checkdowns, throwing underneath, mid, you know, sort of the, the underneath stuff, um, they they were in this game. They had a legit chance. And the overturn on the Josh Adams fumble by Philadelphia that was called a fumble in that game, I couldn't believe that that one got overturned on replay. I just didn't think that there was enough there on replay that was conclusive. It's like Philadelphia's gotten two really good overturns in the last two weeks. Last week they couldn't take advantage of it. This week they did. And it really helped him. Really helped him. Philly lost some offensive linemen in this game. I think Lane Johnson got hurt in the game. I don't know how seriously. Um, but they win the game 24-18. Wasn't pretty. You know, if, if, if you watch this game start to finish, Jacksonville had a chance to win this game. I mean, there were opportunities for Jacksonville to win this game. Philly survives 24-18. to They get their bye week, uh, but they're 4-4. Four and four. All right, at the at the bye week, they come back off the bye, and they play Dallas on a Sunday night. Let's go to the Sunday night game because I know many of you are waiting for me to weigh in on that just terrible stat stuffing Kirk Cousins. Man, he's just a stat stuffer, isn't he? First of all, this is another game that completely turned on one play at the end of the first half. The Vikings are in control. They're up 13-10. They're about to go up 20-10. Worst case, 16-10 at halftime. Kirk hits his favorite receiver, and he's got a couple of them, and Diggs and Thielen. Thielen makes the catch, and he chucks it to the ground. He coughed it up, gets returned, and then there's a penalty on the return, and all of a sudden, instead of it being 20-10 at halftime, worst case, 16-10 at halftime, Minnesota... They're down 17-13 at halftime. 
if if you really watch that game last night and you think that loss is on Kirk Cousins because the interception return in the third quarter and you don't recognize the significance of that Adam Thielen fumble at the end of the first half, I'm not saying that they can't overcome it. They could have and they didn't. I'll grant you that. But if you don't recognize how significant that play was and how it turned the game on a dime, you're idiot. You're an idiot. A complete and utter idiot. Some of you just stat stuffing? Yeah, at the very end of the game, he was stat stuffing. You know when he wasn't stat stuffing? In the first half when he had thrown for 179 yards in a touchdown. That interception return, by the way, did you listen to Collinsworth and his explanation? That was on Stefan Diggs. He stopped. Stopped dead in his tracks. Kirk didn't expect it in man coverage for him to sit down when it was man coverage. I didn't think that Cousins was great last night. I will grant you that. You know, the pressure was heavy. He ate some that he pr- probably should have gotten rid of. They're really struggling to protect him. And last night was one of those nights where they actually ran the ball a little bit for the first time, you know, or only the second time, I think, this year. But really where the problem was for Minnesota is they couldn't really get New Orleans off the field. They couldn't stop them. I mean, New Orleans put up, you know, 23 points. You take that interception return out of it. Uh, they, they just couldn't get them off the field when they needed to get them off the field and get stops in the second half. Um, New Orleans is really good. They're really good. You know, the, the interesting thing about that box score, if you look at the box score in that game, and I didn't realize it until the very end of the game, they won the game 30-20. to 20. The Thielen play was the biggest play in the game by far. Drew Brees only threw for 120 yards. That was it. I mean, Alvin Kamara and Mark Ingram, you know, ran the ball pretty much at will right down their throats. Uh, The Vikings' run defense this year, just not what it was last year uh, when it was number one, I think number one in the league last year. Let's go to the Packers-Rams out in the Coliseum. It was a home game for the Packers. If you watch this game, the 425 Fox game, my God, was that a Green Bay crowd. It was like Lambeau was basically picked up and moved to the Coliseum. Uh, It was a really good football game, a really good football game. There were multiple turning points, but I'll jump to uh, the end in which the Rams, I was very surprised, um, down 27-26. They almost played for the field goal there. I know that they had a penalty that knocked them back, but I really felt in the moment they were going to have to score a touchdown and make a two-point conversion to win this game or to have a chance to win the game. And they got, you know, there was a, a holding penalty at the Green Bay 13 that set up a second and 20. Then they ran Gurley twice. They didn't throw the ball. Second and 20 at the Green Bay 23. They ran Gurley for four. They ran Todd Gurley again for three, and they kicked the damn field goal. I, I thought that that was a losing strategy, and I thought, my God, Aaron Rodgers... He's down two. Are you kidding me? This is going to be a walk-off field goal on the other end. But it wasn't because Ty Montgomery made the biggest mistake of the day. I don't know who you put this on. For all I know, Mike McCarthy told Ty Montgomery, look, the kick goes into the end zone. You let it go or you catch it and you take a knee. We're giving Aaron the ball at the 25-yard line down two with two minutes to go. 
Why would we want to do that? Well, because we'll win the game. In fact, I was trying to, to, and I was having a conversation with one of my sons in that moment, and he said, this is a 95% chance that Green Bay is going to go down the field and kick a field goal and win. And I said, I don't know if it's 95, but it's 75. It's a three out of four situation. And Ty Montgomery returned the kickoff, got hit, fumbled. It was a great hit and a great strip. And with that, that basically ended the game. I mean, they they ran plays, and Gurley picked up a first down. And for anybody that had the Rams laying seven and a half or eight, the number went down to seven, seven and a half, eight. I gave the Rams out smell test on Friday, minus nine and a half. The line came down. Um, but if you had them like I did yesterday when I played them, laying seven because I bought the half point, you just looked at Gurley and you said, hey, you did the right thing for your team, but please go in and score. Swung a fantasy uh, matchup in my league. Yeah, if you had Gurley in fantasy, but he did the right thing. Rams are 8-0, and the Rams go to New Orleans next Sunday afternoon, 425 on Fox. How about that one? How about the Rams with the Packers and then the Saints? Yeah. One question about the, uh, you mentioned the crowd at the beginning. Do you think that's going to be a problem in January? Oh, yeah. Well, it was a problem last year. Well, I mean a problem for them. The road road to the NFC goes through that stadium. Is that going to be a problem for them? Sure it is, because if you get, look, when Minnesota was there for that Thursday night game, it sounded like a big Minnesota crowd. If Green Bay's there, it's going to be a problem. You're talking about fan bases in Green Bay in particular, but even Minnesota to a certain extent, as compared to, say, Atlanta or New Orleans. New Orleans will travel a little bit. Atlanta won't. Remember, Atlanta was the team that went to Los Angeles and won the playoff game last year. But yes, it's a it's an excellent point. They're not going to have a massive home field advantage, even though they will, at this point, they would be the team you think will end up being the number one seed. But New Orleans is going to have something to say about that because they get them next week at home, and New Orleans right now is 6-1. and one. Um, but, uh, but that was... That was a really good football game. And, and man, I give Jared Goff a lot of credit because he looked shaky early. He came back in the second half and made some big, big throws uh, in that game. It was probably one of his worst completion percentage games of the season. Uh, but he still threw three touchdown passes. And Gurley right now has to be one of the front runners for the MVP. 114 on the ground, 81 through the year and another touchdown and could have had a second one there at the end yeah i'm pretty sure him and mahomes are one and two yeah that would that would be the that's the short list right now as we as we've now you know gone to uh gone to week well we'll go to week nine after uh, tonight's game a couple of other other games i want to mention real quickly the ravens uh, got hammered uh at carolina and i'm not backing off the ravens if you're expecting me to back off the ravens but i will say this they get three straight home games coming up. Their schedule is brutal. I mean, it has been brutal. Saints last week, Panthers this week. They go back-to-back with the Steelers and the Bengals at home. Then they get the Raiders at home. The Steelers would be a win at home to complete the sweep. The Bengals to avoid the sweep, and then they get the Raiders. They still have games in Atlanta, at a Arrowhead, and in Los Angeles against the Chargers. It's a brutal schedule. Um, yesterday, there was some flukish stuff early with Carolina to get the lead, but then uh, I didn't. Obviously, this was a one o'clock game, so I didn't see a lot of it. But Baltimore's defense, after really 
doing an incredible job against New Orleans for three quarters. Since that fourth quarter, they've been lit up. Carolina went for 154 on the ground. Cam Newton had 52 yards rushing, and Cam threw for another 232. Uh, Flacco threw two picks in the game, plus Alex Collins fumbled, so they had three turnovers in the game. That didn't help matters. The Ravens fall to 4-4. Four and four. I still like their team, and I still think they would be dangerous in January if they can get there, but getting there is going to be the issue now at 4-4. Four and four. Pittsburgh now all of a sudden at 4-2-1 and one after their win over uh, Cleveland yesterday, 33-18. to 18. They're in first place in the AFC North. The Bengals, however, had a chance – uh, we're on the verge of blowing a big – well, they did blow the big lead. They had a 21 nothing lead at one point, a 34-16 lead at one point, and after throwing his fourth interception, which was a pick six, Jameis Winston got benched, and in came Ryan Fitzpatrick. And Fitzpatrick threw for, in a quarter and a half, 194 yards and two touchdowns, and led them back to a game-tying touchdown with the two-point conversion, but Cincinnati got in field goal range and kicked a walk-off game winner. And the Bengals now are 5-3. and three. They are in second place, I guess, technically, in that di- division uh, behind the Steelers at 4-2-1. and one. You want to see and uh, hear about an impressive win that probably none of you saw because we were all watching the Redskins game? How about just how quietly Seattle's going about their business? They... One at Detroit, another team I touted last week. Hey, I touted Houston also, but I did tout Detroit. I thought Detroit would win this game. Russell Wilson, 14 of 17. 14 of 17. He only threw 17 times in the game. 248 yards, three touchdowns. They rushed for a buck 76. How about this? They ran it 42 times, and they threw it 17 times. Russell Wilson, Three touchdowns for the third straight game. A perfect passer rating. Russell Wilson yesterday at 158.3 with the three touchdowns. He also ran it for 15 yards, and Chris Carson went over 100 yards on the day. Um, You still may say, well, who are their receivers and who are their playmakers? Well, their playmaker is their quarterback. That's who their playmaker is. And the Seahawks are 4-3, and and keep in mind, You know, they lost a close game, super close game to Denver. They lost a Monday night game at Chicago, and they lost a really tight one at home against the Rams, a game that was certainly there for the taking. They've got an interesting game next week against the Chargers in Seattle. A uh, couple of other games real quickly. Um, the Chiefs, 7-1. and one. They beat the Broncos 30-23. to 23. Four more touchdown passes for Patrick Mahomes. Ridiculous the pace that he is on. Uh, and uh, there was one other game I wanted to get to. Oh, the, the, the Bears beat the Jets 24-10. An NFC win. Uh, man, the Jet defense is good. Really, it is very good. And the Bears had to work for everything they got. Uh, in that game, uh, you had um, you had a, 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 a rough day for Sam Darnold, who you know is you know right now is is very much. I think he's going to get there. I think Sam Darnold's going to be a good quarterback, but he had a tough day uh, against the Chicago defense. The Jets have a good defense as well, but the Bears are sitting there at four and three. And the NFC, you know, there are a lot of teams in the mix, and the Redskins right now. You know, have wins over Carolina and Green Bay in the NFC. Their NFC record is five and one. 
So we're thinking division, don't get me wrong, but you still have two games with Philadelphia in December. You still have to play the Cowboys on Thanksgiving uh, on the road. Um, but you're in a good spot right now with respect to the wild card. Uh, this game against Atlanta will be a big one uh, from that standpoint. Uh, all right, let me just mention a couple things real quickly, and then we'll finish up with a little weekend DVR, talk about the World Series, the Wizards, oh, God, uh, and a couple of other college football notes, and then we'll wrap it up for the day. Um, but if you are listening to this podcast and you haven't rated it yet, if you could do that for me, that would be great. Um, rating it really helps us out. Uh, a quick review of it really helps us out as well. And anybody that you know that that listened to the radio shows that I was involved in that you think would be interested in listening to this, but they don't really do podcasts, just tell them to listen by going to thekevinsheehanshow.com. We're on Facebook now. We're on Instagram now. We've got a Twitter uh, the page as well for the show, but you can also follow me on Twitter at Kevin Sheehan DC. And I, I put out a lot. Look, I, you know, if you followed me on Twitter over the years, I don't tweet a lot about, you know, what I just found at Whole Foods or the, or the restaurant that I just went to, or, uh, an incredible thing that one of my children just did. I've never done that. I just don't think anybody gives a shit about that stuff, but I do promote things that are coming up on the show or promote things that in this particular case we did on the show. And it just gives you more opportunities to sort of get to time marks. I'll, I'll, I'll put out tweets that'll say, for the conversation that J.P. Finley and I had today on the show, you go to you know this, this certain time mark, like you know, 28 minutes into the, to the show. So hopefully that's helping uh, as well. All right, let's finish up the show with a little weekend DVR. Did you have a busy weekend? Don't worry, we've got you covered. It's time for Weekend DVR. All right, so the Red Sox won the World Series uh, last night, um, beating the Dodgers 5-1. to one. Another ridiculous performance uh, from Pierce, who uh, really in these last two games is just ridiculous what Steve Pierce has done. If you miss the games... Uh, over the weekend. First of all, we'll just start with this. The the, the game Friday night, um, I stayed up and watched the entire wow. game. I was up until 3.30 in the morning watching that 18-inning affair, which was really spectacular. I don't know how I made it. There's something, and I've said this before, about postseason baseball and the drama of pitch-to-pitch, pitch, you know, batter to batter especially in a close game like that I wanted the Dodgers to win I wanted them to make it a series and they did win it and then they had a four nothing lead in game four on Saturday night and it was all going well until Dave Roberts pulled Rich Hill and I know all the analytics people and all of the people are saying hey you gotta pull him before he gets in trouble well unfortunately their bullpen uh, didn't really help uh, old Rich out. In, in in theory, it works. When Ryan Madsen's the guy you're going to, it doesn't work. You know, it was it was when Puig hit the, the home run to give him basically the big lead. Um, and it was a it was a three run shot in the sixth. It was in the sixth inning on Saturday night, and they're up four nothing. I'm like, we're gonna get Kershaw on a two two series Sunday night um, to give him a chance to go up three two to to to, to move this series back to to Fenway, and then. Yeah, let me just say this. I was upset that Rich Hill got – I don't understand how you pull a starter in the midst of a one-hitter 
when he just struck out a batter. Um, but Rich Hill apparently indicated to Dave Roberts that that he wanted to be watched closely. Like he was already concerned when he went out for the sixth uh, that he was going to, or when he went out for the seventh, excuse me, that he was going to be um, maybe uh, you know a bit tired and he should be watched as if, go ahead and pull me. I'll tell you what, a badass competitor, can you imagine Scherzer saying, hey, keep an eye on me? I, uh, Rich Hill, to be fair, Scherzer's not 38 and a journeyman. Uh, that's true, but Rich Hill pitched a gem. A gem, and he, he had just struck out uh, a batter. And by the way, there was a lefty coming up. I would have let him at least pitch to the lefty. Instead, they brought uh, Alexander in. He promptly walked a batter, and then all hell broke loose the rest of the way. Uh, Moreland homered. It's 4-3 at the end of that inning. Pierce hits a home run in the eighth. Pierce doubles to, to deep right center to drive in three runs in the ninth that put that game away. Uh, and then last night, uh, Pierce did it again with another home run. I'm and sure he's your MVP. Yeah, I'm sure all the Orioles fans saw World Series MVP coming when he was on the Orioles. Yeah. Uh, Boston wins the series four games to one. Uh, Pierce is your MVP. They had great performances by a lot of people. Uh, ben Intendi had a really good series. And how about David Price? How about the Price, you know, basically ending up with a 2-0 two, a two record in the World Series. He got the start last night. It was a bit of a surprise because a lot of people thought Sale was going to pitch last night. Price goes seven complete, allows one run on three hits. The guy that had never won a postseason game won his last three in this postseason. Uh, let's get to the Wizards. Uh, they got beat last night 136-104. to 104. In L.A. against the Clippers, it was a non-competitive effort, a non-competitive game, and there is going to be some discussion here shortly, uh, if it's not already happening, about Scott Brooks and about others uh, in that organization. The Wizards are off to a 1-5 and start. This was supposed to be a season, and Dwight Howard hasn't played. And by the way, I don't think anything's going to happen because Ted is super patient, um, and Here's the problem, is that Friday night after the loss to Sacramento, a game in which they turned the ball over three times in their final four possessions and had a chance to take a lead late and instead lost the game 116-112. Bradley Beal started talking about players who need to keep their mouths shut about getting too many shots, and John Wall sort of said the same thing. And, you know, this, this group that just has not, for whatever reason, matured at any point here. And it hasn't been off the field, you know, uh, shenanigans and, and getting into trouble, but there's just an on-court immaturity. And this is going south in a hurry, much faster than anybody would have anticipated. This road trip, this early road trip, is killing them. I mean, they had the painful loss to Miami in the opener, another painful loss to Toronto, uh, they got that, that overtime win barely against Portland, and they didn't do a lot of great things. Um, you know, John Wall banked in a shot on a key possession late, which was a bad possession, and he banked it in. It was lucky. They got blown out against Golden State. They lose a tight one to Sacramento. And last night, wow, you come off those comments Friday night in Sacramento, and you get beat by 32 points on the road going to be interesting in Wizardland uh, this week. They have one more game on their road trip. It's at Memphis on Tuesday night, tomorrow night. Um, 
Let's get to some college football real quickly. Maryland won 63-33. to My God. They had over 700 yards of offense. Over 700 yards of offense against Illinois. I so wanted to give them out as a smell test pick. They were laying 18 in this game, and I don't know why I backed off it. Um, but they, you know, they're, that, that, that was a win they had to have. Uh, they, they had to have that win, and now they're going to have to get one from either Indiana or Michigan State to be, to be bowl eligible. Do you see the line for next week's game? No. It's only three. Michigan State at home? No, it's, it's, it, they're at Maryland. Michigan State's favorite. No, I'm by saying three. it's they're playing Michigan State at home. Yeah, yeah they're playing Michigan State, at, and uh, Michigan State's only favored by three. It's a winnable game for Maryland, believe yep. it or not, against Michigan State next week. They've beaten Michigan State at home. They did it two years ago. Yes. Uh, the big games of the day. First of all, Clemson annihilated Florida State. Willie Taggart said his team quit in that game. Clemson's defense is just nasty. I mean, Florida State early in the game. Listen to the, these final numbers. Now, quarterback sacks um, count in terms of rushing yardage when they lose yardage. Florida State had 35 rushes for minus 21 yards in the game. Now, if you want to know what their running backs did, four carries, one yard, seven carries, 17 yards. And then 11 carries for seven yards. Clemson's defensive front seven is ridiculous. Uh, meantime, Trevor Lawrence is starting to prove that he is really the real deal. Um, he looks the part. He looks like an NFL quarterback to me at his size. Um, Clemson's 8-0. They're not going to lose uh, until the – I mean, they're, they're in the Final Four. This is, this is the biggest lockout of all of them. I mean, they play Louisville, they play Boston College, they play Duke, they play South Carolina at home, and then they'll have an ACC championship game, maybe against Virginia. I mean, it could end up being against Virginia, who won this weekend against North Carolina, and the Cavs are 4-1 and one in the Coastal Division. Uh, I wanted to mention real quickly the game that I had talked about, uh, about a lot on Friday, and that was Florida-Georgia. Um, too many turnovers uh, in that game, and Florida lost their two top corners, lost their their top corner to go with the other corner that was already down. That really hurt them because they were able to really stop the run for most of the day. What they couldn't do is they couldn't stop uh, Jake, uh, Jake Fromm from having maybe the best and most impressive day of the year uh, for him. Uh, he was outstanding. Um, and I, 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 I like both of these teams. Georgia was the better team uh, in part because they were able to throw the football. Fromm threw it for 240 yards and threw three touchdown passes. So Georgia's now in it. Florida's out of it. Uh, and now next week in the SEC, you get a doubleheader that basically will decide the SEC championship game. You get Kentucky, who went to Missouri and won. Luckily for them, there was a – P.I. call in the end zone on what should have been the last play of the game that was a terrible call. Should have been offensive pass interference. Instead, they got an untimed down and won it on a walk-off touchdown pass at Missouri 15-14. to So now Kentucky hosts Georgia next week. The winner of that one will win the SEC East more likely than not. And you get Alabama LSU on Saturday night. And LSU is a 14-and-a-half-point underdog in Death Valley on Saturday night, the biggest underdog at home they've been since 1999. Uh, a lot of coaching blunders this week, and the coach patrol was on 
uh, was on it this weekend because I, I got 50 tweets from you guys minimum about different uh, mistakes that coaches uh, made over the weekend. So we'll get to that tomorrow. Tommy will be in tomorrow. Uh, I had some other things from Weekend DVR. I'm just trying to look through my list to see. I guess I got it. Oh, the, the report about Bryce Harper. The report that Scott Boris essentially said the decision's already been made. He has clarified this, by the way. Okay. It was a joke. Boris said it was a joke? Boris said Chelsea Janes reached out, and it was a joke. If, if you listen to it, it seemed like... I mean, he doesn't do jokes very well, but definitely seemed like something a little out of character for him. Apparently, Chelsea James reached out and said it was a joke. Okay. I read the comments on Twitter. Was it a newspaper interview? What was the no, interview? No, it was, uh, I believe it was Michael Kay. Oh, he was on the Michael Kay show. Yes, I believe that was where and, it was. And so basically on the Michael Kay show in New York, Scott Boris said that a deal is already done and in place with Bryce Harper's new team. Let me just say this. I think he's going to re-sign with the Nats. I don't think he was saying this. Uh, I don't think he was joking. I, I'm not. I'm not reporting anything. All right. Let me just be really clear. I've heard various things, but I'm not reporting anything. But I think Scott Boris may have been telling the truth. I don't know that a deal is actually in place, like technically contract signed. Um, because I don't even think they can at this point, or maybe they can because he's an existing player. But um, I think Bryce Harper is staying in Washington, and that's how we'll end the podcast today. Uh, Tommy will be back uh, with me tomorrow. We'll get his thoughts on the Redskins' win over the Giants. The Redskins are one-and-a-half-point favorites over Atlanta. Uh, Atlanta's coming in off a bye week. It's a chance for the Falcons to win their third in a row, get back to 500, and get right back into feeling like they're in a playoff race. They're not a good defensive team, although they've got some speed like Beasley and some pass rushers, but they're injured defensively. But they are a very good offensive team with the ability to light teams up with Matt Ryan and one of, if not the best, overall pass receiving core in the league. I would think that Sunday at FedEx Field has a chance to be the best home crowd of the year with the Redskins on a three-game winning streak and at 5-2 and two and comfortably right now in first place. Now, Philly winning yesterday, you know, has Philly one game out in the win column, you know, at 4-4. Four and four. Uh, They're still two out in the loss column. Uh, Philly's got the bye this week, but this should be a FedEx crowd that's amped up and ready to go for a 1 o'clock game at FedEx next week with a chance to match. Jim Zorn's 2008 Redskins that started off 6-2. and two. Uh, Thanks to J.P. Finley. Thanks to Aaron, who always does a phenomenal job. Tom's in tomorrow, 5-2. and two. Still a long way to go, though. Uh, take care. Have a great day.